I'm Matt Brownell. And I'm Van Owens. And I'm Tim Adams. Welcome to Climbing the Mountain, where we dive into the scriptures and discuss themes, connections, and real-life application. We're kicking off a series here where we're going to examine the Sermon on the Mount and discuss implications for this teaching for Christians today. Welcome back. We are up to pure in heart this time. We are following through the Beatitudes, going line by line, and this has been such a rich discussion. Van, do you want to remind us the whole context, read the whole Beatitudes? Sure will. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Awesome. So pure in heart means more than just sexual purity. But Jesus uses this example later in chapter five. Uh, What we look at changes our heart. We've talked about that before. This is a huge theme throughout scripture, one which I think is linked to the concept of idolatry. Anything we place before God, if something takes over our heart, it corrupts our vision, which leads to further distortion in what we see and desire, eventually we won't see God at all and won't reflect him, which is our, uh, which will pollute all of our relationships. How do we break? We talked about cycles. How do we break this downward spiral cycle and have a pure heart that sees God? Well, I think, I think purity of heart is, um, yeah, sexual purity involved there, I think it is to some extent. But I think purity of heart, I think about the passages among them. I think James 5 talks about grumbling, mm. um, grumbling about other people or grumbling about. And grumbling is something to me that happens in, tier, in, my, in the inside. And so one of the things that I need in order to have a pure heart is um, – you talked about in your question is you know the your pure heart helps you to see correctly and but i think also what's also true is what you focus on will influence the purity of your heart yeah and i think i think of colossians 3 in verse 1 and 2 it says if then you are raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Hmm. And so it's that it's that setting of my mind. It's that focusing on um, the good. It's it's focusing on the things that I ought to focus on, and not and not dwelling on things that I shouldn't focus on. And also keeping in my heart the notion that hey, I need to love people. And so let me let me keep that at the center of my heart mm. so that I don't grumble and that it it does no good for me to say, oh, hey, Jim, I love you. You're awesome. 
when in my heart I might be thinking, look at this guy. <laughs> That's not a pure heart. <laughs> don't tell me if you are thinking that. <laughs> I, I don't. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I was reading this, and I, I think anytime we see – this is a Jim's caution thing, so thank you in advance for coming to my TED Talk um, – <laughs> That in this, like, I think anytime we see pure, we we automatically assume the sexual component. And uh-huh. I I got to be honest, I don't see it that in this passage. I, yeah, I, I think that's a thing we project onto the text, not a thing that we uh, that's actually in there. Mm-hmm. Um, be careful. Side note: be careful of the things you project onto the text because you really do. We really do destroy it in that way. I um I always I have read this for a while, and I I think it holds up as purity of heart means there's nothing in our hearts that's not supposed to be there. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I work in the engineering field and we spend a lot of time making sure that the material we use is mm-hmm. pure. And it simply means oh, yeah. that right. it there is nothing in that material no that admixture. isn't intended to be there. Like it's, it, it is just as it's designed and intended to be. Um, if there, if there is, then we call it adulterated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That we literally call it adulterated, um, which feels dirty to say, but it's ultimately <laughs> acceptable to say at work. Um, but I, I think there is like idolatry is a part of that. But I think the bigger thing than idolatry is the way our, our idolatry and in the lack of concern for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Pharisees and the Zealots. They weren't idolatrous in the way that we view idolatry, but they did lack concern for people whose uh, worldviews didn't align with theirs. Like they lacked concern for the Romans. They lacked concern for the Judeans. They weren't worshiping the wrong God. They had a lot of their beliefs about God actually pretty correct, but they lacked concern for people. Um, and ultimately, we're created by God to engage the brokenness in the world by partnering with him. But if we don't view people correctly, we're not going to fulfill that. And if we have a wrong view of people and like, well, you people are just harming God. Well, no, God cares about those people. And if we have that, then we're not, our hearts aren't pure. And so it's not just the like idol, like literal idol Baal worship, like in the Old Testament. It's do we view people as having potential? Do we view people as worth investing in? Do we view God's chil- all of God's children as being valued and cared about by Him? Mm-hmm. And do we act that way? Well, not to to uh, start something here. <laughs> We're going to start but, something. But I'll I'll just say I think that their lack of concern for people is a result of their idolatry in the sense that they had made um, religion and idolatry, which is something that all of us can do mm-hmm. who've been going to church for a long time. We could fall into that trap. And um, – you know, we we had a pod a while ago on uh, where we talked about Matthew 15 and some of the the ways that the Pharisees had brought in, and you can kind of see this um, later. Jesus is, talks to them about how you know you uh, 
shouldn't have ignored the more important things while you're doing all these special things. But they they had they had put the um, <clears throat> their oral tradition on a level that even superseded God's word in some cases. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was idolatrous. Yeah, I, I, I think I guess when we we can kind of yeah, we, we can make anything that yeah. falls short into idolatry. I, I kind of view I tend to use idolatry a little bit more narrowly than that. Um and that it's like we're worshiping the we're actively worshiping the wrong thing, right? And like I, I have a hard time calling the Pharisees idolatrous because they actually were. I mean, Jesus does say you put this, you put the, you know, you set aside the command of God for the sake of your traditions. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time wrecking them as bad as most Christians like to on that because we do the exact same thing all the time. Well, we should take that as a real rebuke then if we do, mm-hmm. because Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in the context of idolatry. He referenced Isaiah 6 um, and other passages that had the... the. There's a connection between... I'm going to go on a tangent here, but there's a connection you? between... I know. Going uh, <laughs> there's a connection, I, I believe, between um, uh, those who make idols will become like them. And we see that in Psalm, I think it's 115. I... I it's a few places that it's reiterated, but uh, in Isaiah six and elsewhere in Isaiah, um, which is quoted, uh, I think it's twenty nine maybe, um, by by Jesus, he he uses this this idea of you have lost your senses, and so you'll be ever seeing but never really understanding. You're hearing but not listening. That kind of language. You 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 can't sense the things that are important here because you are idolatrous. And uh, the, there's a great book on this. G.K. Beale wrote. I, I mentioned him in another one. Um, it's called "We Become What We Worship." If you're interested in it, uh, the uh, the. And and we kind of see that with, um, you know, later when Matthew uh, in Matthew five, uh, where Jesus is talking about uh, lust as as something that you know you could pluck your eye out and uh, you become blind, uh, but you're still filled with lust, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something there's so there is a quality of your heart that we're talking about here, what we desire most, and so that's where I, I get to idolatry too um, with this, and I think that the reversal, um, and I and it, you can see even in those those passages where where Jesus does is referencing Isaiah, he's then turning to his his disciples and saying, "Blessed are you, you know, because your eyes uh, see and your ears hear, and many prophets and righteous people long to see but didn't, right?" and um, or in, I think in Luke, he talks about the hidden things, uh, God hid things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So it's not um, something, this is the thing that's hard for me, is it's not something we can see or hear or understand with human wisdom or will, but it's something that God has to awaken in us. And so what we what we view is super important. And, and I think if, if you find yourself in a, you're dry and you don't know why, I think, you, you know, you should, you should talk to God, ask, seek and knock. That's something that Jesus says later in here, yeah. uh, ask, seek and knock. 
So if I may have just one slight rebuttal to that. Yeah. Not, it's not, it's not, I, I, I think you're, we're, you know, it, I don't think we're in conflict in any of this and our ideas, but I've always found, um, and this might be a function of my experience in like the Christian world, so I'll fully allow that. Um, but I've always heard when people say like the, uh, the concept of putting things before, I've always observed that to be a fairly self-serving definition of it. Like, you know, it's, it, it's this very nebulous thing and it's very open to like, you're putting this before God. Well, how do you know? Like, why, why do you say I'm putting this before God, right? And the, I'm not talking about the super obvious case. I'm talking about kind of the subtlety and, and challenge of that. And so I think that's a very, that's actually a very difficult thing to discern is like, is someone putting something, like right now I'm in school. Am I putting school before God? I've kind of taken, I've let some of my church responsibilities go. Is that putting school before God? I don't think so, but but you could make an argument, a very good sounding argument that it is. And so it can be a very hard thing to discern. But I also think the thing that really is the rubber meets the road issue with the idolatry, are we putting things before, are we, you know, what is it, is how do we care for people? And people really become, I think, the like this is the sh- this is kind of where it shows right and if we're caring for people like when god's people cared for the poor when they actually made sure everyone had enough that's not idol- they're they're probably not practicing idolatry at that point whereas you know when again modern day idolatry is not like we're wor- we're out in the out in the woods worshiping baal it's it's subtle. It's it's mm-hmm. hard well, to discern. And I think that you know nobody knows what's in anybody else's heart. Yeah. Few of us even have a complete awareness of what's in our own hearts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's why we're at another one of those thin lines. Yeah. Lots yeah. of eyes, lots of ears, lots of openness to God to be able to determine. We can't say whether or not in your heart you're putting school before God. God knows whether you are. You might not even know whether you are, but lots of eyes, lots of ears, and lots of openness to God to be able to help us to keep our hearts pure. Mm-hmm. You know, the psalm the psalm says, create in me a pure heart, God. It's something that God yeah. creates. Yeah. It's something that he makes. Yeah. And it's not something that we can do ourselves. <laughs> we can't we, we can't we can't mold we can't purify our own hearts it's something that he has to do and the way that he does mm. that is through our relationship with him and through our fellowship with each other yeah great point yeah yeah i i'm really glad you brought up that psalm because i was thinking about that too um i think tying something what you guys were saying with something we were talking about when we were talking about structure, right? This is the one we were talking about, like, should it be in the second half? If the second half is about, uh, you know, outward expressions, then Mm -hmm. why, why is pure in heart in there? But, um, I think it, I think it is illustrative, illustrative, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, it's wedged right in between blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers, right? And these are very much, the ways that we are acting towards those around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
for that reason alone, I think what you're saying, what's been said of that if we're pure in heart, we're going to see it in our lives, Mm -hmm. right? That there's a lot to stand on there. Mm -hmm. Also, Jesus makes the point several times throughout the gospels, like out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth Mm -hmm. speaks, right? Evil, all evil thoughts come within the heart. He lists all the really bad sins (laughs) or whatever. And so um, I think where I'm at is, and this is just helpful to you we can't divorce the way we're treating people from our relationship with God. Right. I can't just go off yeah, in right. the corner and yeah. have a pure heart. Like that doesn't it doesn't really make sense in this <laughs> yeah. framework. Um and but 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 that original thing that we were talking about of purity is is very simply it's there's there's no corrupting material in there, right? right? Like right. that actually the the psalm creating me a pure heart is just, you can also just translate it clean. <laughs> it's yeah. like that same idea, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think to me that is very helpful. Like there's, whether it's, whether we call it idolatry or whatever, there's a impurity, there's something that's, there's things in my heart that are vying for my attention, that are vying for space, that are vying yeah. for uh, control of how I respond to situations. And um, Jesus is calling out that if we work with God to remove those things out of our heart and allow God to come in and make us clean, we're going to be able to have that clarity. Right. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a little of um, the light within you. Um, if that's yeah. darkness, yep. mm-hmm. you know, how great. Yeah. And, and, and so there is, the, I like how you were, Jim, and, and all of us are kind of like, this is, this is sort of like that progression you were saying, Van. Uh, the first ones, there is a progression here too, maybe, where you have this pure heart, pure heart and so you are, it is, it's overflowing into those around you too. I like that. Let's go on to the next. Jesus returns to the theme of being a peacemaker to conclude his discourse on the law. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. How does being a peacemaker make you resemble God? How does it make you his child? So raise your hand in the room if you actually like the process of making peace between people. Mm. Huh. Uh, n- no hands risen. Yeah, zero, zero hands went up here. Um, I, I like the result when it's over. I yeah, met the, pro- like I me. met the process. <laughs> we met process here. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting illustration because we see this and we're like, yeah, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. That sounds good. Be a peacemaker. And then when we were all asked, including me, by the way, so, you know, let's not put... Every, all four of us kind of said, yeah, we'd really rather not like do the work. Mm. Um, right. And, and I, I see this and I see peacemakers it's, it's like, tough. if you're going to be a peacemaker between two sides, they're both going to not like you at the end. Like, mm. or at the very least, at some point in the process, they're going to not like you. And you have to be able to play both sides of the fence to some degree, not in a duplicitous way, but like in a, you need to be willing to listen you need to be willing to speak their language. You need to be willing to meet both of them on their terms. Like you can't expect 
You peacemakers don't. You have to have courage. You have to be willing to, you know, take a few shots potentially. Um, like it, it's really not easy. Combine that with the people Jesus is talking to. A lot of these people don't even want to make peace. Yeah. Like you yeah. know, the zealots had zero desire to make peace with the Romans. Mm. Same thing with the Pharisees. Like they didn't want peacemakers, and so it's it's this position where you are supremely vulnerable if you're a peacemaker. And again, the informal poll in the room, none of us instinctively want to do that. Um, so I, I think this is such a hard, like we, we read past this, and it's, but it's a hard thing to be a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. But I also look at this and I go, God is calling us to engage the brokenness that, and I'm a broken record, I'm saying this, but he's calling us to make peace with the brokenness in the world and to engage the brokenness in the world in a way that, like, we are very uncomfortable doing and that does hurt, that is challenging, that isn't, like, just... It isn't... Being a peacemaker isn't sunshine and rainbows. It means you have to... You have to get out and engage. And I I see that in this where he's going, oh... My work is to heal an ultimately good but very broken world, and I need peacemakers to do that. And when you get out, you are acting like my son because the son, on like in their a patriarchal world, the son honors the father, and the son's mm-hmm. job is to carry on the father's legacy. And he's saying, you are carrying on my legacy mm-hmm. when you are a peacemaker. In the world, mm-hmm. well, and I and when you think about being a peacemaker, there's one aspect of that if you're trying to make peace between two two people, right? You know, if Jim is a Red Sox fan and Matt is a Yankees fan, and I, I want to make Yankees fan. I know I'm not. I'm sorry to put that sin on you. <laughs> I, haven't, but, I haven't watched baseball and, in about and, ten years. Okay, follow the analogy, boys. Come on. <laughs> sorry, getting distracted. I put my I put my hand on each of you, and I just say, "Hey, let's just love baseball, right?" And I try to make peace that way. And as you can see, even just using it as an analogy got hackles all up, right? So yeah, that's yeah. it's hard to do that between two people. But I believe that part of what Jesus is calling us to do is to make peace between people and God, <laughs> which yeah. which becomes an, a, that's a whole other thing that puts requirements on the peacemaker. And what are those requirements? I think it does talk, Matt, to what you mentioned and I mentioned earlier about the process. You've got to the process that sort of uh, kind of strings its way through the Beatitudes is all of these things work together to make you into someone who is a peacemaker. Yeah. Well, and without them, you can't be a peacemaker. Yeah. If you if you look at what Jesus had to do for us to right. make peace between us and God yes. to satisfy justice, uh, he had to take on our sin and die in our place. Mm-hmm. And wow, uh, you know, to be called a peacemaker, um, that's a high calling. It's to become a miracle worker. It's to become something supernatural because that's who Jesus was. He had to be a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man in so, order to in order to get that to happen. It's a it's a miraculous thing that does not happen outside of God. 
So Van, we, Van we, I, yeah. uh, I think to, to go on your baseball analogy, because um, <laughs> I think that it was, I actually think it was a very good analogy. I was just being a smart aleck <laughs> and that I don't really watch baseball. But um, I, I think there is a large part of you, if you know, you have, if Van is in there trying to make peace between these two people, where he has to put a lot of himself and his biases aside. Exactly. Like yep. a lot of Van has to be, has to, if he's trying to make peace between Matt and I, he has to like ignore himself in a way that is really hard. And, and I think that's one of the real challenges is like peacemakers have to, like we have to put off ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't, it can't be about me. Like right. mm-hmm. if I'm trying, if I was trying to make peace between, you know, Tim and Matt, well, it's really not about Jim. Mm-hmm. It's about peace coming between Tim and Matt, mm-hmm. and I need to get out of the way. Yep. And I need to put myself out of it. And we, as Americans, don't like that. No. Um, just one thing I was thinking. Um, the, a useful uh, image for me with this um, is the concept of absorbing sin. And it's kind of like a breaking cycles hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this feels like a very important with peacemaking. Um, and an example of what Jesus did, right? Like a ton of people sinned against Jesus, but he absorbed the sin and then it stopped with him, mm. right? And so we've talked about peacemaking, yeah, in terms of reconciling other people. I feel like often, you know, I'm in the situation where there's not peace between me and someone else. <laughs> and it might be that, you know, both of us have done something wrong, right? And there's been some brokenness. There hasn't been some peace. And the peacemaking that I can do, the way I can emulate Jesus is to uh, like absorb the sin and say, I've been sinned against, but I'm not, I'm not going to release it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the progression again of in view of God's mercy, mm-hmm. offer yourself as living sacrifices. Yeah. You know, because He's given us mercy, we need to be merciful. We need to be pure in heart and see God and see the way God sees things, maybe instead of our own bias. And then we might be able to get a lot further with making peace with someone else and absorb something, maybe because we entrust ourselves to Him who judges justly. That just like Jesus, that okay, justice is being fulfilled. I don't have to take it in my own hands. God sees everything. I can I can trust him. The last blessing, I think we can wrap up here, maybe. The last blessing is the same as the first. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's also coupled with the object of desire in verse 6, righteousness. So there's a structure to all these beatitudes that builds and seems to encompass every disciple. The one who's poor in spirit, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, will be filled, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Does Every disciple need to have all these qualities. What if you're not persecuted, for instance? What does that mean about your repentance? I don't I don't want to I don't want people to hear this question and just go out and be as obnoxious as they can be so people hate them and they get persecuted, quote unquote. That the uh, but what does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness and uh, maybe what doesn't it what does it not mean? Yeah, I mean, to me, when we think about this last beatitude, blessed those who are persecuted because of righteousness, um, you've got to, and we asked this way at the beginning, but I feel like you've got to ask it. It's like, why are you getting persecuted (laughs) (laughs) for being merciful and 
peacemaking and uh, to be pure in heart. I mean, when you see people who are pure in heart, you know, wouldn't you think that they you'd want to be drawn towards those people, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important to understand this because um, it's, you know, this to me is the clearest way of seeing that what Jesus is trying to show us is going to, it's very threatening to the prevailing yeah. system, right? right. Yeah. The, the, the mindset and system of this world. Mm-hmm. Just the fact of being so different, yeah. um, kind of like the, the alcoholic's wife, who the alcoholic changes and they're like, I don't like the change mm-hmm. because this is different from the way things right. have been. Um, and in, 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 in the, to carry that analogy, this is all, it's almost like she goes, oh, maybe I have to change now, right? right? I can't and see she, myself the same way. And she and, and it's like instead of going, okay, yeah, maybe I have some things I need to change, it's just this overreaction of like, no, 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 I can't, can't be this way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like John 3, right, where uh, people didn't like all that light. They're, mm-hmm. they're you know, let's yeah. go hide in the darkness. Right. Yeah. I don't want it to, you know. Yeah. You don't have to see all this stuff I'm doing. Yeah. And if you think you think about it in the context of the, the this whole audience that Jim, you know, when we started talking about the Beatitudes, talked about all the people who Jesus was talking to. So say you're one of the, I hope I get them right. Say you're one of the Judeans, right? And you're standing next to a guy who's from the Decapolis. And you hear this and you think, Oh, I need to, I need to be a a peacemaker here, and I need to open myself up to this individual who's from the Decapolis, who I thought was reprobate before, and so now I'm gonna okay, brother Decapolosian, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm your brother now. We're gonna be together. What are the other Judeans gonna think of you now? Ooh. They're going to say, why are you hanging out with that dude from the Decapolis, man? What's wrong with you? What's going on? You need to get yourself together. Mm -hmm. They're going to start persecuting you. Mm -hmm. Well, you're being persecuted because of righteousness. Mm. Um, If you're being persecuted because you're just a jerk, then you probably deserve the persecution, (laughs) right? Right. If yeah. you're if you're yeah. being persecuted, if I'm being persecuted, take my baseball analogy again. If I'm being persecuted by the guy who's a Red Sox fan because I say, <laughs> yeah, all Red Sox fans are idiots anyway, so just get on board with the Yankees, then I'm just being kind of a jerk to that guy, right? And he's going to persecute me because I'm being something's wrong with me. Or if you're being like belligerent yeah. and if obnoxious, it, right. it's like, well, yeah. 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 You're, and I think what Jesus is getting at is what he says in other, in other places. If you take the side of righteousness, you will be persecuted. Yeah. yeah. The, the more you become to resemble your father in heaven, right. the more the world around you will not like that. Yeah. Because like Tim was saying, it's, uh, you know. Yeah. Let's, this is a shady place, and we like to do our own thing. And God, God being God, oof, don't think so. So I, I think this is a, a lot of what he was saying. I, I think was probably an intention of God at the beginning when He gave the people Torah and He gave mm-hmm. the people the law. Was like this: is, 
it was very much, I want you to look like this. Now, Mm -hmm. again, we don't have time in this, but like the Jewish people in a few cases did an okay job here, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of cases they really didn't. And they didn't, they had a very hard time fulfilling Torah in this way, Mm -hmm. in the being set apart, looking different, caring for people, caring for the marginalized in a way that the you know, the nations around them didn't. Um, and I think what Jesus is saying is even among God's people who are supposed to believe this, who, if you ask them, would say they believe it, we're not all walking this out. Hmm. And you can expect if you engage in the work I'm doing and in the work God has always wanted us to do, which is, again, it's healing a broken world, you can expect to have opposition. And it almost feels like because he's talking, I believe he's talking to his disciples, he's addressing his disciples, He's it, the implication of that is even from the people who are supposed to be yeah. wanting this, you are going to have opposition. Mm-hmm. People are not going to like this. Even the ones who theoretically are supposed to like it, they probably won't like it um, because that means you're going to engage yeah. stuff that they would really prefer you not engage. Yeah. But this is the call that we've got, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, as we inhabit the, these heart qualities and, and become more, you know, this, this is how we should. It be. is. And oh no. It, it, I mean, it, it is the call, but I think Jesus is also telling us that that doesn't make it easy. No. And I think, you know, if if we're being honest, we, for most of our lives, in humanity for, you know, three, however many thousands of years, I can't quite do the math yet in my head, we've been called to this, and we've been, you know, having some good moments, and we've have been having some bad moments. Mm. And But it is the central call, right, to... To partner with God, as you you were saying before, yeah. and to become more like and be His image bearer. Yeah, this to partner with God to, to heal a broken world. I think that's a good place to end, guys. We just went through the Beatitudes. This has been so wonderful. Thank you. Good stuff, boys. Yeah.